Hello, everyone. My name is Ted Stevenow. Welcome to the third podcast in a series of podcasts we're recording on the topic of Central Committee, following the book I wrote on this subject called Rigged, How the Establishment Controls Elections and How the Citizens Can Take Them Back. If you want to go to my website, tedstevenow.com, if you sign up for my email list, I'll send you the first chapter of the book for free. Today, we have a special guest, Rick Heron, who's really my mentor on the topic of Central Committee, and we discuss the importance of process in driving politics. So enjoy the show, and thanks for listening. Today I have a special guest. I have my mentor on the Central Committee topic. He loves when I say that. But it's true. I mean, you're the mentor, okay? Uh, his name mm-hmm. is Rick Heron. Hey, Rick, what's up, dude? <laughs> Howdy. Hey, so, you know, there's a we should like do a show once a week or something for a yeah. while. Because there's just a lot of material to cover. And I, I was thinking, like, when I wasn't first thinking that we ought to do, like, a series, I thought, well, <laughs> if it was 100 years from now and people wanted mm-hmm. to hear the two of us say something... Could you imagine something like that happening? Hmm. What would they want to hear us say? What would you say to them? I mean, right. I, I was thinking about, I've been talking a lot about the integrity of the parties being maintained in the system, that the people mm-hmm. have the responsibility for maintaining the integrity of the, part, integrity of the parties. Now, we don't usually mm-hmm. take that tack because we're always street fighting. We're always, you know, on some functional element like the power of endorsements and why mm-hmm. the parties should endorse. Um, I don't know. What do you think? If you had one thing to say about this whole, this whole topic, what would you say? Well, I'd say I understand that it's um, difficult to to understand it because there's nothing in our experience that we can link it to. You know, we hear about this nowhere. Right. We never hear it on our so-called, you know, liberty-loving media anywhere. You never mm-hmm. see it on in a blog. You never hear it on a radio. You don't see it on television. You never hear any of our so-called allies in Congress talking about it. So you have to wonder, is is there really such a thing? Yeah. You know? you know, and so when you explain it to people, oftentimes you just get a blank stare, or, you know, like, oh, that can't be true. And, and then when you start proving it to them that it's really true, they, you know, many of them will just start making excuses why that won't work, mm-hmm. even though you've seen it work. Right. You know, it's, for 30 years you even see the it establishment works. knows it works you know it works for them and i i've mm-hmm. even said when i'm because we've gotten a lot of people elected and we've interacted with elected officials i've met establishment long-term politicians who i've tried to talk about this process to and they don't even really understand it's almost like i don't know they're driving a vehicle that they don't understand how it's made or how it functions they just get in and drive it Right. It's like economics. A lot of people don't understand economics because it's it's a dynamic. You know, politics has an economics all its own. And it has, it's a, there's actions and then there's consequences. Yeah. And those consequences are also actions which have other consequences. Just like in real economics, it's difficult to see what's going to happen when you remove a regulation, say, from the economy. Right. Or you reduce taxes. You can't say exactly what's going to happen unless you really understand economics. Sure. And then you can say, oh, well, that's going to cause this and it's going to cause that because you, you understand that it's a dynamic. Right. And politics is the exact same way. And But people don't understand that when other people are selecting their candidates for them, 
they don't really see them until November. Right. They don't see these candidates until November, so they don't they don't understand, or they don't they've not been taught that there was a whole series of causes and effects beforehand. Yeah, that happened. You know, a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, I think a critical. Well, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, ten years ago. I mean, sometimes because um, I look at like the governor of Ohio, for example. Well, he's got effectively an eight-year term because he's been ele- reelected. Um, but the central committee that was in place, he was elected in 2010, or, or well, in 2010 election and took office in 2011. But the central right. committee that was el- elected in Ohio in really 2008 was the central committee that decided who they were going to endorse in the governor's race. Who was it? The people, That's so right. literally about eight years ago by the end of it, where the, was it was a group of people that were involved. No one can name. I can't name any of them. I'm and, as into it as I am. I can't name a single one of the people that were instrumental in this decision that that led us to where we are today. Yeah, like a governor's race. Those people who wanted your governor to be your governor this year, say for example, had to start 10, 15, 20 years ago yeah. to line up their allies in the state central committee, the the state whatever you want, it, whatever they call it in your state. Yeah. Yeah, two, two kinds we talk about all the time. That's cool. Yeah. We always mention there's caucus states and central committee states. Yeah. And we're yeah. a central committee state in Ohio. And so the, the campaign for uh, a statewide office takes a lot longer than just the few months you see it on television. Yeah, I, I, you, you came to that event. I, I spoke for the Freedom Works event, the Free Pack in, um, Freedom Morning in America. Um, Glenn Beck was there, and all these people were, were speakers. And. My point that day, that was, the, that was the weekend before the election, and everybody was focused on the presidential race. And a lot of people, pundits in the radio and places, were all about this last-minute Hail Mary, you know. Literally, at one point, at another you know, time in this, they were talking about fast and pray for a miracle, okay? Man, I just... <laughs> um, but I got up there to talk about how the state party was really engaged in the presidential race this time. They impacted the, the outcome. Um, at a critical time, between really in the Cruz versus Trump contest, that uh, this the state central committee that was elected two and a half years ago, or was put in place, or recruited two and a half years mm-hmm. ago, and elected two years ago before that primary, they were the ones who endorsed uh, the governor in the race. They were the ones who decided to commit the, the money to to send out the hundreds of thousands of you know postcards to chase the absentees to do the ground game. They elected the leadership that orchestrated this. This whole event, this and and change the dynamic of the race at a critical time. I mean, for those people who are Ted Cruz supporters, you know, if 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 our state party had been different, if it had been in a neutral position or had it been uh, run by the citizens, it could have stayed out of the way, and it would have been more of a two-man race. And hey, maybe maybe Senator Cruz would have won. I, I don't know, but had he had he won or had a better showing, perhaps it would have helped him with his momentum to get, be carried forward. And I just think the greater point is. <laughs> Everyone was focused on the vote for the primary for the president that day, when the biggest factor in the race, at least in our state, was actually the result of something that had happened two and a half years oh, before. A long time ago. It's just like a horse race. In fact, they call it a horse race in politics, what we're watching today. That's all they talk about is who's ahead, who's behind, you know, where's he at in the polls. It's just like listening to the, an announcer at a horse race. Yeah, they, They're not talking about, you know, the issues, if you really think it's important to the news people, they couldn't care less. It's To them, it's about ratings. They want people to get excited and tune in. And 
scream and yell and get mad. The madder they get, the the more they watch. The more they watch, the higher their ratings. And, and in many ways, it is like a horse race. In a real horse race, that race doesn't begin when that when the whistle goes. I mean, when the bell rings and the doors open and the horses run out. That horse race began many years ago. Sure. When they bought that horse and they trained it and all the, you know, you don't see all that. You know, people come to the race and they get their form and they make their bets and, you know, they're there for the afternoon or cheering. And many people treat politics the exact same way. They're not involved way back at the beginning when it's difficult to get things lined up and lay the foundation. I find it interesting when we talk about the the, the reality that there is this pre-race. But I don't know. Do we get skeptics? What do people? I'm trying to think of the reactions I get from people. I'm I'm st- I'm stunned by. I, I found it excruciatingly difficult to recruit people to get into this space. Yes. And so you got this big uphill battle to say, here's this thing that's really important, and then convincing the people to believe. The good news is you don't need a lot of people. Like in my example of the Claremont County story um, in 2014, there are just a little under 133,000 registered voters, but you need. 150 members of a central committee. I mean, you don't yeah. need that many people to get involved, but even still, it's tough to recruit them. And I, I want to ask you, because I know you've been doing this for years and years before me, the the money line or the line that got me was when you said, well, you started it with, have you ever been to an election and not like the choices? And then said, how would you like to be the person who picks the candidates? I mean, how'd you come up with that? What I mean, talk about that. Well, uh like I, I learned about this back in 70, probably 77, 78. I started working on it myself in 79, 1979. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Depends on when you're hearing this. <laughs> and uh, I tried everything. I mean, I've, I've talked to literally thousands of people over the years, and I never know what is going to get through. Right. And so I just try everything, anything mm-hmm. and everything. And it's different for everybody. Every, you know, some people get it right away. Some people get it the third time, the fourth time. Mm-hmm. You know, so you just never know. But it, you know, you're right. It's, it's incredibly difficult. It's very frustrating. Like I was at a thing this past Sunday. And a guy, I started talking politics with some guy, and he said, oh, you should talk to my friend here. He's really interested. You know, he's always complaining about the status quo, blah, blah. I said, get him over here. I started talking to him. As soon as I convinced him that this is how it works, he came up with an excuse why it wouldn't. As soon as I answered that one, he came up with another one. I wish I had my recorder on right. because I never heard a more perfect list of excuses in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, he, he knew how to make an excuse for everything. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have wrote a book just about all the excuses. And so maybe that's another problem is that many of us are just so beaten down, so discouraged that we actually don't want it to work. We don't want to plan. You know, we're we're planning on losing. And so but, yeah. if someone comes along with a plan for winning, they go, whoa, you know, that doesn't fit the narrative. We're supposed to lose. Haven't you listened to talk radio lately? Yeah. 
And if, and if we win, what would we do? Yeah. What, we won't have. We won't be able to complain. I've literally. I've met people. I mean, you, you and I both together. I mean, I've met people where. I mean, one time I was on a trip driving with these guys, and I had hours, and they asked me, "So, what about you know politics and all that stuff?" And I had the time to just you know really go through it all and give them the details. And and there was one of the guys. He just Rick. All I can say is he's one of these prepper guys and he's got all the stuff he's saving you know in case the world ends and it was like he's such a hobby enjoying doom the the possibility of doom it was like if you fix the problems i mean it just seems a silly right. thing to say if you fix the problem it's like i don't i don't know if i even believe it i just i just know that he loved being where he was so much he didn't really want something different even he didn't yeah. even want a solution yeah i'm, I'm yeah i've started meeting those kind of folks you know, I used to just say, you know, people that want to head for the hills. Yeah. You know, they want to bunker down, hunger down, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, wait a minute, you know, if you know anything about war, you cannot run. Yeah. If you run, you will be run down. Right. That's the way it works. And so you have to charge straight at the fight. Yeah. That's your only out is in, you know. Right. Like in World War Two, they say the way back home is through Berlin or Tokyo. Right. You know, that that's where the train leaves for well, home. And I know? meet people who are, like in the smaller libertarian community, who are people who read the Constitution and they read the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. And some of the people with the sharpest skates on the fundamental principles of liberty, um, I go through and say, well, you know, hey, here's a way to engage the system. Even people that are members of the Libertarian Party, which I, I mean, I've met any, any number of those people over the years. If they would just take their energy and put it into reforming the Republican Party or, you know, I don't know if there's a Democrat version of it where it's like, I know that there are Democrats who are, obviously today we're seeing them that are unhappy with the status quo of the establishment. And that's that kind of represents in my mind the Bernie Sanders coalition. Uh, but if you applied yourself to taking the parties back or reforming the parties, putting, putting, focusing your efforts toward making the current parties do what you want them to do. Uh, solution seems closer than any other path. Well, another thing, yeah, you're right. Another thing is that all the problems that we're having politically are all our own fault. None of them can be blamed on any individual institution you can't blame like the 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 royals or the professionals in the republican party you can't blame the democrats you can't blame the media you can't blame academia you can't blame your mother-in-law you can't blame anybody it's our problems are all of our own making and most of that has to do with our just not getting involved in the where the battle actually is right right you know in in military talk you know they call that being off the battlefield you know you can have a, a battalion over there fighting like crazy just really doing a great job but they're off the battlefield and they're not going to actually mm-hmm. get anything accomplished in the long run yeah i mean off the battlefield things to me consist of rallies um and now some people say rallies are informative yeah. and i suppose they are to some degree but, you know, my, my favorite one is the picture that we show in trainings of Nancy Pelosi walking through the, the crowd with the gavel. Uh, I believe there are two million people in D.C. that day. And I, I don't know that there I mean, I've not looked it up or if there's ever even been anybody mm-hmm. to track this. But I think that's the biggest 
protest rally in U.S. history. I don't think that there have ever been two million people in D.C. protesting the passage of Obamacare. Well, she brings yeah. that gavel on. She walks right through the crowd, you know, focusing on process. And she, and she, you know, and, and it didn't stop the law, okay? So all these people drove there and spent the time and the money and all the effort and all the energy and all the speeches and all the flag waving and all the t-shirts and the bumper stickers yeah. and all these things that didn't have any impact on the outcome had they spent 10% of the time that they put in all that other stuff, focusing on process, focusing on taking the parties back, focusing on getting more principled people involved in the process, they, they could have had a different impact. They're off the battlefield. Yeah. So... <laughs> you know, and, he, and it's that's our fault. That's not their fault. Yeah. There's a song by this group. It's called Pom- the song called Pompeii. It doesn't really relate, but I'll take a metaphor and make it do anything. There's a sign. There's a, there's a lyric in the song that says, "It says, where do we begin? The rubble or our sins?" It's repeated over and over in the song. Several p- p- parts of the, of the of the you know as the tune progresses. And in my mind, I think, where do we begin the rubble or the sins? What, what, the, what I look at is policy, the last domino falling, the, the lousy the spending, the crummy regulations, the things that have, have damaged the people's freedom. That's the rubble. Okay? I, I Our sins yeah. are a neglect for the system and having mm-hmm. allowed it to become in such decay, such overrun by cronies and insiders. To me, where we begin is, is, that, is that personal reform to say, I'm going to get involved in the system in a more effective way. Then we'll be able to affect the outcome and the rubble will, will, will go away or look different or begin to be cleaned up. You know, it's, it's funny. Everybody understands that process is the most important policy of all. Well, when everybody it, on the inside well, understands. In every aspect of life except politics. <laughs> right. No matter every aspect of your life, I don't care if it's owning a car, owning a home, renting an apartment, I don't care what it is, having a job, walking down the street, everybody understands that process is the most important part of policy. If you want to get something accomplished, you have to know the step-by-step how to get there. Mm-hmm. And we apply that every day in our life, every, every aspect except politics. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. It's it. It's like we opened up with. It's so frustrating. Why can't we get process across mm-hmm. the folks that hey, this is just like every other aspect of your life. You have to understand. You know, that's the last step. This is the middle step, and this is the first step. Right. You know, I don't care if it's saving for retirement. You know. <laughs> washing your car you know it don't <laughs> yeah, matter I mean, I, and that, there's an expression that says if it's not a process it's a problem uh, there is a process that's, that's happening but where the citizens are engaging they're not a part of it they're not they're not in the battle so and it may be because every other i mean the only thing different about politics and every other aspect of your life is that this is the only one that's on television every other aspect of your life you got to think it out you know, right. but on television, you got you got all these news guys telling you what the deal is, you know, telling you, OK, this is the horse race. This is who's ahead today. This is it. This is, you know, it's a flash like flash bulbs going off. You know, it's so it grabs your attention. You don't have time to think about, well, how did they even get get this far? Mm-hmm. Where do these people come from? Why them? You know, why not? Why not any one of the other 300 million Americans, you know? You know, it is remarkable, too, though, when you think about, like, I always reference the polls. People are, these right-track, wrong-track polls, people are unhappy with the direction of the country. But more specifically, when you ask them questions about 
how happy are you with Congress? You know, Congress has a disapproval rating, as I believe, you know, in the last week or so, of mm-hmm. 77%. You know, people talk about Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton having bad disapproval ratings. Well, n- none of them can touch Congress. Right. Yet we're going to, this cycle, reelect all of these people. And I, I do see the frustration on, on the part of citizens to say, I can't stand this way this is working out. I vote and it doesn't make a difference. So they're quitting. I mean, they have a frustration with the, the part of the process they've been given. You know, maybe that's part of the problem is it, they feel like they're part of a process, but it doesn't work. But what they're not doing is looking deeply enough into it to see what's really happening. That's the other bad thing about being off the battlefield is, you know, being involved in some kind of a activity, some political, which you think of as political activity, which really isn't. Right. You know, like rallies and writing letters and otherwise begging your congressman or some other elected official to do the right thing. You know, not, there's no bare waste of time than to beg the wrong person to do the right thing. You have to be in a position to remove that guy from office. And if you're not in a position to deprive him of his seat in Congress or the Senate or the state rep, they couldn't care less what you think. Mm-hmm. These, <laughs> You have no idea the kind of people you're dealing with here. Sure. It's just like being in a company. If you want to be somewhere in your company, you have to be as part of the revenue stream. You have to be one of the guys that's really making a difference in your company. And in politics, it's the same way. You have to be in a position where you're deciding who the candidates are going to be. And who, and even just as importantly, who will not be your candidate. Right. And when you have that kind of go, no-go decision-making power, then all of a sudden everything changes the whole dynamic changes yeah i think well i'd add to it as well relative to lobbying and calling and writing letter to the editor and putting and giving input to politicians the impact of that input when when you have the ability to replace them is exponentially different than when they know you know i i a statistical we talk about this direction of the country and the the polling 96 percent of incumbents get reelected. Mm-hmm. you know a math equation if you're playing blackjack and you get two face cards, you say, hit me, you got a better chance of winning that bet than you do of unelecting one of these incumbents from Congress. And, <laughs> and so, you know, and I think when I do watch the citizen lobbying, there's a hopeful side that if the citizens were able to engage on the party level and gain greater access to replacing politicians, I think their voice would be heard in these other, these other areas more readily just because all of a sudden they're backed up by citizens who can replace who can elect and unelect, who can select different candidates, who can who can really change the paradigm. Well, like in so many other things, timing is critical. So if you want your congressman to elect a guy from the Freedom Caucus to be the next Speaker of the House, which is another whole problem many people really don't understand, or at least don't think about it very much, that their congressman is the guy that elects the Speaker of the House. He doesn't drop down out of the clouds, you know, or come riding up on a white horse and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, I'm your Speaker of the House." You know, he's elected just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And there's we have a thing called a Freedom Caucus in the House, and there's like 30, 40 guys in there, and they they had a candidate for Speaker, but he didn't win because we don't have a majority. The Freedom Caucus does not have a majority in the House. And if we could get to the point where the only question we ever ask our congressman is, you know, our candidate for Congress. Will you vote for the Freedom Caucus candidate for Speaker of the House? And don't let him change the subject. Yeah. 
because he will. He'll say, oh, it's them dang Democrats. Oh, it's them guys. Oh, it's, you know, oh, it's, you know. And just keep coming unity. back. Unity. We need unity. Hmm? <laughs> we need unity, they say. Yeah. <laughs> well, how about having some unity on my side for change? Right. You know, how could... <laughs> well, I but think... the time, the time to demand that is when the, your congressman is getting endorsed. Right. Not when he's already running for, in the general election. Right. Not when it's too late. the establishment's already paying his bills and you know getting him campaign contributions, and he's already beholden to them. He needs to, there need to be strong enough coalitions on the ground, in district, with people in the parties who have you know, regular citizen folks in the space that can that can move the noodle electorally. So they got to be able yeah. to win these, these primary elections. Well, you know, made me think of another thing that I think is probably important to, in, in comparison... The speaker isn't conjured up out of the void. He doesn't just come riding in. Okay. Another thing that becoming a student of this has made me see, and particularly so in this presidential cycle, this they, them attitude toward the party. The party does this. The establishment does that. The they, the them, as if there's this just dark, I don't even know what you call it. It's this community of people that just come mm-hmm. out of the ether and they just tell everybody what to do and they make it unfair. Yeah, I mean, speak to that. I mean, I, I got a whole rant on the fact that these are no, no more than people. These are no more than representatives. And so, I mean, what, what do you think when you hear people talk about they, them? and Well, it's they they probably haven't thought about it much. They, they actually, the news media, I'm, I'm again, you know, here we go again. You know, because it's on the news, we don't, we're not forced to actually think about how these things actually occur, mm-hmm. you know. When they talk about the Speaker of the House, they talk about him as if he did descend from the clouds. Mm-hmm. They never mention the fact that he was elected by your congressman. So why would you why would you think he is? Right. You know, unless you actually thought about it, unless you actually asked that question, where does the Speaker of the House come from? Mm-hmm. And so. I mean, and as and as and, and in parallel, who writes these rules? I mean, and I'll pick on the Democrats for a minute. I mean, the New Hampshire story where Bernie Sanders goes and he has volunteers and they knock on doors and they put signs in yards and bumper stickers on cars and mm-hmm. they donate and volunteer and make phone calls and work. I mean, get, get all of it. Their guy even wins, Rick. He wins New Hampshire. But Hillary gets all the delegates. Okay, how does yeah. that happen? Was that them, they, other, the nebulous, the ether? Did that happen? No, that happened because party officials wrote the rules that way. But the party officials are are also just... I mean, that's your central committee. Exactly. And the party officials, who elected them? Yep, that's the right. individual that's, members of the party. That's Every, right. And so when we talk about central committee, because I, I, as I learned this on a statewide level, well, I, I, for, for whatever reason, I had one of those epiphany moments when I said the full name, Republican National Committee. Hey, that sounds like central committee, like what we've been talking about. That's right. Democrat National Committee. Each state, whether it's a caucus or a central committee state, sends two people to serve on the Republican National Committee. You hear the yeah, you hear the word committee or Congress or Senate. What what that means, especially committee, it means the they have members that are called delegates, mm-hmm. and delegates are always elected. People don't pick themselves to be delegates; right. they are elected by the the next layer of delegates below them. Mm-hmm. And those delegates are elected by the next layer of delegates below them. Yep. Which happens to be your local county central committee. That's right. When I think about this, we're two delegates away 
from changing. I mean, if you're upset about the way the presidential contest rolls out, you think that, you know, the way the delegates are counted and all the stuff that we've been seeing is, is unjust or unfair or whatever it is you think about it, you're two delegates away. You win your county central committee seat, or should we say three? You win your county central committee seat, then you have the ability to send someone to state central committee, and the state central committee send the two delegates to the to the national committee. That's right. Yeah. In fact, if you win at the bottom, you automatic you get the top. It falls into your lap. Right. Right. The bottom is the top in politics. Well, in Ohio, we have nine thousand one hundred and sixty precincts. I say it all the time. We need about four thousand people. A third of those precincts are empty, mm-hmm. in general. On the Republican side, anyway, I, you know, I've never looked at the Democrat numbers on a statewide basis, but let's so let's say there's you know six or seven thousand elected. Well, you need thirty five hundred, four thousand people to step up and serve and to be able to be able to have the votes to be able to to change the change the paradigm. Between here in your studio and my home, there's probably I will probably pass on the way home more than enough people that are conservative, liberty loving. Mm-hmm. Non-conflict of interest people, not there because their uncle's an elected official, not there because they're trying to be elected, not there because they got a county contract, not there because they're related to someone with a county contract. You go through it all. Not there because they're groupies, Rick, because they're groupies. They're stargazers who think, oh, these politicians are so just, oh, I'm going to get his cell phone number and put it in my phone. You are? Okay? You're going to be buddies with this guy? So there's, there's enough people... Like I said, between here and my house to take over the state. Yeah. And, and yet we don't need to, to find those people. We, you know, we need one person in each precinct in Ohio. That's all. And, that, and a precinct is, is your neighborhood. Well, piece of cake. So, hey, this is a good, this is a good, good start. If you, if, you, if you don't mind, I'll get you back. We'll do some more shows. And, yeah. Uh, and I'm all in. So, well, ladies and gentlemen, the incomparable Rick Heron. Uh, very helpful guy uh, and, and a patriot. So we'll catch you guys next time. And thanks for listening today.